The City of Lakeland strives to provide transparency for our residents with the goal of having an informed and engaged citizenry. Views shared by those interviewed are not necessarily the views and beliefs of the City of Lakeland as a government entity. And let's let's sort of get started and just um, one of the hot topics and, and things that have been a buzz in, in the news media uh, surrounding things happening in downtown is the New York Avenue cycle track. So I think most people are kind of confused about what that is and how that relates to a, a wider system. So can you kind of bring it down to layman's terms sure. for us? No, I appreciate it. Um, you know, uh, on, on Monday, the city commission will be approving or be asked to approve the construction contract for what we call the New York Avenue cycle track. It's on the west side of downtown, generally between Lime Street and Main Street. Uh, with this project, uh, New York Avenue will be converted from a two-way downtown street to a one-way street uh, with the southbound lanes, or half the street, being converted to a bike trail. It's all being done within the curb line of the road. It's really intended to uh, be the first phase of a multi-phase bike trail, a bike corridor through the west side of downtown. Um, the area north of Orange Street to Main Street will also include streetscaping, so the side sidewalks will be widened out. Um, most of the, the streetscape design that you see in the downtown area would be used on uh, the New York Avenue corridor. Historic lighting will be installed. Um, so, so the benefits are, are, are really twofold. One is, is to uh, be part of a, a, a bike route that will connect the west side of Lake Hunter through downtown, the Lake Wire, over to Bonnet Springs Park uh, on the northwest side of downtown, and also to create a better pedestrian environment going from the new Spring Hill Suites that's under construction now at the RP Funding Center into the downtown core. So it, uh, uh, we had submitted the funding request back in 2012. Uh, the funding actually was programmed or budgeted by the Florida Department of Transportation uh, about three to four years ago. It takes a while to get through the budgeting process. Um, the City Public Works Department has designed that cycle track and now it's ready to go to construction. So um, the normal life of these projects to go from concept to construction somewhere between six or seven years. And, and so it just takes a while to go through. And, and um, so we definitely want to get the word out about this, this new amenity that's coming soon to downtown and uh, hopefully energize the west side of downtown. And to that point about things taking six to seven years, so you know the people that are paying attention right now and today are thinking, what are you guys doing with this little stretch of New York and turning it into a one-way? And I mean, who's gonna ride their bike on such a short little path? But it really does, it's a piece of a puzzle, a much larger puzzle that that is is part of a, a larger system that some exists, some doesn't exist right now. It, it, exactly, um, the city has an overall pathways plan that runs the entire length of the city, and probably for the next twenty years, we're going to be in some phase of, of construction of that pathways plan. Uh, you know, some recent examples include the new bike lanes on Crystal Lake Drive, uh, the new bike trail on New Jersey Road, the Westgate Central Trail on the west side of downtown. Those are all types of um, corridors that, you know, as funding becomes available, either through the Department of Transportation or with our own city uh, dollars, that we, we, we try to implement as, as, as best as we can when the opportunities arise. And so New York Avenue, the original plan was for it to be constructed at the same time as a trail along the west side of Lake Hunter along Sykes Boulevard. Just the funding wasn't able to work out that way, and so New York <coughs> Avenue is actually moving forward ahead of any of those other segments. Now what's also interesting, uh, and this kind of jumps from bicycle to rail, um, 
the Department of Transportation has been studying a, a, a rail uh, overpass uh, on New York Avenue as well, uh, just south of Lake Wire. The cycle track will connect into that overpass, which will soon be under design by DOT. Um, you know, and so it does tie into some other investments that are being made by completely different programs, but it just shows that from a transportation standpoint, we're trying to make sure that what we're doing for bicycle pedestrian uh, on, on one side relates to what we're doing to mitigate rail impacts and getting people back and forth across the rail line through downtown, uh, that it uh, complements automobile uh, access into the downtown area and supports transit. So uh, it's you know, almost like playing three, you know, three-level chess. Is that uh, you know our transportation investments are, are intended to complement each other. So just because we're talking right now and the focus will be on a three-block section in the middle of downtown, we have every intent of connecting it up to the south and to the north to help complete that that system. And and it's important. Is it important to sort of have those projects laid out and and sort of shovel ready, if you will, so that when FDOT dollars become available, are they more likely to give money if they see that you already have a plan and, and already have have it con, con, all that connectivity worked out in advance? That, that's absolutely the case. Um, what, we, what we do is make sure that we have our plans developed here locally to show what the community's desires are and, and what our elected officials have said, you know, go forward and, and, and implement. We also work very closely with the Public Transportation Planning Organization, and you know, if you're not familiar with that group, uh, that's the that's the agency that actually establishes federal transportation priorities for all of Polk County. And so, six of our seven city commissioners are on that board, as well as all the county commissioners and representatives from the other uh, local governments. And and so, what we do folds into the overall TPO Long Range Transportation Plan that's countywide. And for anything that we do involving federal or state dollars, the first thing they do is look at uh, how it ties into that larger, either citywide or countywide plan. New York Avenue checks out all those boxes. And so, um, you know, a, a great man that used to work for DOT always used, used to say, you know, money comes to plans. And so you have to have, you know, have it well thought out to be able to um, argue for and advocate for that funding to come to the project. And um, that's it, it's it's key. So Angelo is here with us, also manager of traffic operations and parking services, better known as Tops. Tops likes to us. call it Tops. Yes. And um, you know, <clears throat> traffic car vehicular traffic is is something that we're hearing a lot about in in downtown and and the surrounding neighborhoods. I think everyone. Uh, complains that there's too much traffic on their particular street and if everyone's complaining then I guess that means there's cars cars everywhere so uh, what are your thoughts about the pedestrian bicycle um, ideas that are being floated out to sort of make downtown and other parts of the city more pedestrian friendly and do you think we can accomplish that and get people out of their cars what's well, interesting we work with uh, Chuck quite closely all the time. He's at sort of like the 10,000 meter level. We're more at the one meter level and we're, we're kind of at the ground level working together with, with Chuck to make his long-term plans become a reality in the ground. And it, it's interesting because, uh, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I go on holiday, I tend to go to places that I consider a place. And I, I, I define that place. I'm willing to go spend holiday money on a place where I can walk a lot 
within close proximity to restaurants, uh, interesting museums, uh, all that sort of stuff. I don't want to go holiday in a suburb. I just don't think that that's, that's a place. A lot of people live in suburbs, no, no disrespect to them. I, uh, that's fine. But the point is, if I'm going to go spend a lot of money, I'm going to go to a place that I feel comfortable walking, maybe biking, uh, taking some uh, public transportation or shared transportation. And then, and only then, my private rental car, if I have to. Because I'm not going to go spend two or three grand on a holiday to go find that I'm going to be in a car all day long, traveling long distances. So downtown Lakeland has this unique, is a unique place. It's a place with a lot of um, mom and pop type of uh, places to shop, eat, drink, uh, enjoy, entertainment. And I want to get there in a way that I feel comfortable as a person, as me and whoever I'm with. So yes, uh, uh, mobility to me is a, is a function of walkability. And walkability, in my view, is what makes a great place. And Lakeland is right there. We're on the cusp. We are a great place. We can even be a better place by focusing on what along uh, the long-term plans that Chuck is, is, is uh, contemplating, like, like the cycle track. Cycle track is going to bring folks to the downtown in a way other than their single occupied vehicle. Right. And we definitely and that's so need unique. fewer single occupied Ab vehicles. Absolutely. That's right options. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. So, so that, your, your, your question, well, how do I feel about uh, walk bike? I mean, top of the list for me, because that's what makes a great city. That's why we go spend a lot of money in these great cities. Well, let's spend it in our own town of Lakeland. So we've, uh, working with Chuck and others, we've worked at ways of trying to, once you get there, to try to ameliorate the experience once you are downtown. Um, one microscopic example that we, we've done from a safety perspective to give pedestrians a little more of a kind of a more comfortable feeling downtown is to we installed what what's called a lead pedestrian interval at, at all of our downtown intersections signalized intersections or lpi and what that means is that we give the pedestrian a five second head start over motor vehicle traffic uh, to cross the street so by the time the motor vehicle traffic's uh, red light becomes a green light the pedestrian is, all, is at least halfway across the street if not completely across the street what that means is that they got a head start they're ahead of the game, and it's a win-win condition because what we've come to find out is that pedestrian crashes are down almost two-thirds because of that. Wow. And surprisingly, we even were surprised in our own studies that vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle crashes, and particularly injury vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle crashes, are down about 42%. And frankly, that was all with no money down. That's all right. basically electronic changes. Uh, and working with, uh, with folks downtown, uh, yes, there's a slightly more delay to motors, motor vehicles of five seconds. But the trade-off, the benefit-cost ratio of that small loss of five seconds pays off huge dividends for pedestrian safety. And I think, to go back to your original question, makes people feel like they can be downtown as a walker, right. as a, ped a pedestrian or bicyclist, and not always have to be protected by this two-ton vehicle that that you're encapsulated in so downtown has come a long way mm -hmm. and i think transportation has been a factor in in creating those be those benefits uh, obviously if you do drive downtown we have a very limited space to park this two-ton 
device. Right, by, by design. <laughs> by design. Because and downtown existed before cars. It did. It did. It's, it's, what's interesting is that, um, is that we, we have, uh, gosh, uh, something like, not oh gosh, if I were to count every single one, something in the order of seven or 8,000 parking spaces downtown, believe it or not. Seven or 8,000 parking spaces downtown, of which only about 2,500 or maybe, if that, are available to the public at any one time. And so really effectively we have what? What's that work out to about 30%, 40% availability to, to the public at large to, to park downtown. So we're always working with folks like Chuck to try to find out more creative ways and the LDDA yourself in trying to find creative ways of storing these vehicles that often a lot of folks desire to drive downtown with and uh, try to, to make it work. Uh, you can only put, you know, five, five kilograms of material in a five-kilogram box. You can't put 10 kilograms in that five-kilogram box. It's going to be, there's going to be not enough capacity. We don't have the capacity for what everyone wants. So we're getting creative and, and working out some ideas uh, with folks like you to, to make that happen. Um, I really believe, and I think, I, I, I believe Chuck is on, on board with this. I know he is, that... Um, that the vitality of downtown is almost exclusively correlated with walkability. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> talking about um, just transportation in general and, and, again, cars and traffic and all of that, we, we'll, we'll talk about the South Florida Avenue road diet in a moment, but I want to touch on a little bit about just um, like the intermodal idea. You know, we've got the bus station downtown. We've got the Amtrak station downtown. We've got Greyhound downtown. And so there's plans to kind of create something new with all of those organizations? Um, it, it, exactly. I mean, it's very early on in the process, but the, the idea is, is to develop what we would call an intermodal center. Um, you know, a place where you can get off an Amtrak train or someday hopefully a passenger rail from, say, Sunrail or, or out of the Tampa area and hop on a bus and travel throughout the Lakeland area without having to get into a car. Um, you know, the challenge right now is that even though a lot of these facilities are in downtown and, and they're in close proximity to each other, they really don't have a whole lot of room to expand and to really address the increase in projected travel demand in Lakeland or Central Florida looking out, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So the idea is, is you know, we'll just use the, the area behind the police station on Massachusetts Avenue as an example, is that, you know, DOT is, is uh, just starting off a, a vision plan um, to gather input on what the community wants to see, what, what the stakeholders want to see in terms of this intermodal center. Um, kind of as staff, we've been thinking, well, it could be a parking garage, a relocated Citrus Connection transit terminal, uh, an overpass to the Amtrak station, um, but is that what the community is looking for, and is that what the, the, the property owners, the, 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 the businesses, do they, do they see that as you know, being most beneficial to them? But kind of the idea is, you know, right now, you know, the Citrus Connection Terminal on Florida Avenue is very constrained. Uh, you know, you're kind of sandwiched between two very busy streets at the railroad crossing on Florida Avenue, and so it presents some operational challenges getting buses in and out of that, of that facility. Um, to get a little bit more elbow room, uh, the thinking is at this point is, you know, if we put a parking garage in behind the police station and we were able to either, on, you know, on the south side, on the east side, you know, to be determined in the future, but we were able to put in a new state-of-the-art transit terminal on that same property, 
um, and then tie that in with an overpass that would connect over to the Amtrak station, then all of a sudden you have a focal point from a transportation standpoint that could be a guide for future investment and actually signify to the to the uh, in, to investors, to the real estate community, to the community at large, that Lakeland is serious about getting people around by modes other than car, and and hopefully get some additional densities and intensities, you know, from residents and employees to to take downtown to the next level, um, you know. And this is another example of a of a project that has multiple components, multiple state and federal funding source opportunities, and timelines associated with those funds. To implement either the garage or the the transit terminal or the overpass, um, it could be a five to ten year or maybe even longer uh, proposition. But if we don't have the plan in place, then nothing happens. The other thing that we're trying to do, and this is more bigger picture, longer term type type uh, you know type planning, you know the Sunrail was just extended to Point San and that opened earlier this year. Um, the, the transportation plan organization here in Polk County has conducted some feasibility analyses to look at the possibility of extending SunRail to first Haines City, then to Auburndale, then to Lakeland. Um, and so, you know, that is a possibility. The numbers all look good for a 10 or 20 year time frame. The problem is, is that you've got a lot of freight traffic that is also sharing that same rail line, uh, but that could change tomorrow. Um, you know, there could be opportunities where um, we could end up with, uh, you know, CSX, you know, being more receptive to allowing passenger rail to come through downtown Lakeland, and we need to be, we need to be ready for that for that opportunity to happen. If we don't have that plan in place, we're just going to get looked over. The other thing that we have that's out there too that really ties into the intermodal center conversation is the uh, not to throw too many uh, specific names or acronyms out there, but <laughs> the DOT is in, in the process of wrapping up their Lakeland area alternatives analysis, and that's a that's a pretty major study that um, uh, extends from Memorial Boulevard up to the interstate and Lakeland Hills over to Kathleen Road, and right through the center of that area along US 98. Uh, a, a bus rapid transit line is, is being evaluated uh, that would run from I-4 all the way down to Bartow. And that bus rapid transit line would actually be on a dedicated facility. I mean, if, you know, for, for the listeners that, you know, if you've been to a place that has light rail, kind of small type rail systems in the downtown area, think about that being used by a bus and not a, not a, not a rail car. Or like the streetcars in New Orleans. Right, right. And they have their own dedicated space and line. Exactly. And and so the, the buses could operate without having to sit in the same traffic queue as the car. So you have a more efficient, higher capacity transit operation that could tie downtown with the interstate where Brightline is being discussed now as a potential uh, transportation option in the middle of I-4 between Orlando and Tampa. Um, so if we want a station for Brightline in Lakeland, somewhere around US 98 and I-4, we have to have a premium transit line in place to connect downtown, the hospital, with the interstate and this Brightline station. And, and so again, the Intermodal Center is just basically at this point just a dot on a map. But as we start to get the community feedback, we see what our, what our options are from an operation standpoint, and working with the Citrus Connection, with DOT, and the Transportation Plan Organization. We look at the funding options that are available and the timelines associated with them. We can put together a plan that can set us up for success in getting people, giving them other travel options as we start looking 20 years down the road. We don't want to be in a reactive mode like the Tampa Bay area 
or the Orlando areas are now, mm. and, and, and the billions of dollars that are being uh, having to be spent to build their way out of congestion, and they'll never do that. I mean, I-4 right now to the downtown Orlando is a $2.3 billion project, six years worth of construction, and it will probably be a, you know, a, a failing roadway section from a congestion standpoint within 10 years after it opens. And so right. they're, they're playing catch up. We're trying to learn from their mistakes and, and, and do something differently here that really sets us up for better success, uh, transportation-wise and financially. And the reality is, is that any kind of bus system or rail system on I-4 or through I-4, and that's kind of been, you know, I, I have I have some knowledge about SunRail, if anyone remembers. And um, the reality is, is that the city doesn't have a public transit system to support that, then it doesn't really do any good to get off of a high-speed rail at 98 if you've got no other transportation to get you anywhere you need to go. So, you know, all of this infrastructure that you're talking about that the city is planning that may not come to fruition 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, it's, you got to have it because if you're not going to be able to connect to what is going to get built there. Exactly. And it, and it all comes back, you know, frankly, when it comes to the operations, it comes back to funding. But, you know, the, 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 we have to have an honest discussion with the public about what our options are, what the costs are, and the available funding options. And, and, and those decisions will come over time. You know, I know that there have been a couple of referenda recently regarding sales tax uh, increases to support public transportation, and those have failed. Um, but we can't at least, we, we can't stop laying the groundwork for those future decisions to occur you know, some point congestion is going to get to the point where um, the demand is going to be there for something else. And we need to be ready with that and have that information, have that data so that the decisions can be made to move towards implementation. And we don't want to have a 10 year lag between when we say, oh gosh, we've got a problem and when the, when, when the solution to that problem is in, is in place. And if I may, from an operational perspective, there's only so much we can do on a day-to-day -day operational perspective in terms of either maintaining or advancing uh, flow. Uh, we, we, you've heard of coordination. I'm sure your listeners have heard of, of coordination of, of traffic signals, for example. That's true. We, we do do that, working with our partners at FDOT and, and, the, and the county. We do everything in our power to have some coordinated approach. At the same time, I like to sort of amend that, that term and call it sort of a democratic coordination. Because if I'm going to coordinate the, the main line, like say US 98, I also have to give time to the crossroads in some equitable format, obviously favoring the main line. However, if we only favor the main line and disregard the side streets, well then they are inequitably dealt with from a coordination perspective. So we're doing everything in our power to buy really chuck some time is really what our job exactly. is. Exactly. You think exactly. About it, right? We're kind of you know, a little bit of few pennies in the piggy bank to try to, to kind of give give Chuck some breathing room to let him do his uh, his more long-term planning and like uh, being more proactive as he's saying. So it buys him some time, but gosh, we're running out of time. There's only so much we can do. And if and I, I think Chuck alluded to this that uh, simply adding more capacity by widening lanes is specifically specifically not working. We've had that experience for what now? 
80 years. Yes. Right. And we proved it over and over and over again that widening lanes is just immediate gratification. Right. Uh, I remember um, in, in my in my home province uh, when the, the uh, a road uh, a roadway called the Highway 401 went from two lanes to four lanes. The day it opened, the ribbon cutting opened in 1962, I think it was, or something like that, to f- two to four lanes. It was already a gridlock <laughs> on opening day. Well, they say and traffic <laughs> is like water. I mean, yes. you know, yeah. if, yes. if, if your hose is a one-inch hose, it's going to flow right. heavily out of a one-inch hose. But right. if you go to a four-inch hose, it's going to flow heavily out of a four-inch mm. hose. Exactly. That's a great analogy. That's, uh, that's a perfect analogy. And I, I think the good news is that, operationally speaking, we've been blessed with some systems that maybe most folks don't know about. We have the, the blessing of having uh, a completely 100% interconnected tra- traffic signal system with fiber that was installed like 15 or 20 years ago. Because of that, we can make immediate adjustments that, that help us to, to deal with traffic flow and conditions on a hot spot condition, but uh, certainly not long term. Uh, so at least we have that. We have something going for us in the, in the short run. But I, I can't agree with Chuck Moore uh, than what he said, that we have to be proactive and plan ahead. And I, I think from an economic perspective, I think Chuck is 100% right that if we're not there, I think you alluded to, to it too, Julie, in terms of being shovel ready, that if we're not there with the plan to be ready, hey, pick us, we've got it, we've got, we've got the tools, we've got the plans, we're ready to go, we have the desire. If we don't have that, we will be brushed over to someone to Tampa, to Orlando, or some other uh, um, peer tier uh, or peer town that'll bypass that will be bypassed if we're not ready. So I think what's going on right now with the pre-planning and being proactive, in my opinion, has to continue wholeheartedly, so that we're ahead of that curve. Yeah, and we, you know, it sounds like we're doing a lot of <clears throat> of work. Uh, to get people out of that single occupancy car, at least favor the people who aren't uh, in in that transportation mode. And I think we're all probably guilty of it. Yeah, uh, I know. Oh, you, yeah. You, oh, yeah. You know, we, we all drive all, all by ourselves probably every single day. So <laughs> we're not, we're, yes. we're among, we're among the abusers. Absolutely. Uh, but speaking of, of flow and, and concern and, and maybe long-term projects, uh, and how they feed into a, a larger system. The South Florida Avenue road diet is, you know, there's a lot of concern from people that hose analogy, like, you know, just just rake down the road, the buildings and, and widen the road. And transportation folks who do this for a living, of course, know that that's not going to solve the problem. That's just going to invite more cars. You're not going to mm-hmm. have a, a more comfortable drive on South Florida if you made it three lanes in each direction. Um, but there, there's a lot of cars on that road, and there's also the buses. And you talked about the signalization and timing those mm-hmm. properly. Is that something that can <clears throat> really – can you be successful in changing the signalization on that road if, when, if and when it goes down to one lane in each direction? Yeah, so if, let's say, the right-sizing of Florida Avenue were to, were to, were to occur, and whatever right-sizing means, that's a very right. generic term. So uh, in terms of that coordination or that – or that the democratic coordination. It's quite interesting. If we were to beam you, Julie, let's say I could beam you okay. from Pine Street <laughs> to, let's say, a Pablo or somewhere around there. In one second, mm-hmm. I could literally take a switch to your car 
and just zap it so that it, in one second, goes from Pine Street to, say, Ariana or Pab Pablo. I'm still going to get you caught up at Edgewood if you're going southbound, and I'm still going to get you caught up at, um, at, the, uh, at Bartow Road if you're going northbound, almost no matter what, because of that democratic coordination. I have to give time to the east-west as much as I have to give time to the north-south. So really, interestingly enough, even though you only traveled one second through the core of that, of that corridor, you're still going to be bookended at both ends. And so I find it interesting that we're concerned about the potential delay in the core when, in fact, we're giving up so much time at the bookends for which we are, frankly, trapped because there isn't a lot, of we, uh, a lot of coordination time that we could give up. There's no Rob Peter to pay Paul because they're equitably distributed at the bookends. So I just find it interesting that could it be, I'm just throwing it out there, I'm just throwing it out there, See, see, uh -oh. see if it sticks on the wall. <laughs> Could it be that if we, if we sort of take the time factor and distribute the waiting time at the bookends and pull that waiting time back towards the core of the coordinator of the uh, corridor, and basically average out the time? I would argue, to some degree, that perhaps that overall time would all the change or the delta on that overall time would probably be close to zero if you look at it specifically from the bookends on. Right, it's that hurry up and wait mm -hmm. sort exactly. of concept. Perfect, that's, that's exactly, exactly Like correct. I want to rush yes. from this stop sign to the next stop yes. sign. I want to be and first in that red to light. To the red light, and we've exactly. all experienced it. I, and everybody it who's complaining about South Florida Avenue and the idea <clears> of that road <throat> diet, ask yourself, you know the answer. Yeah. You've done it. You've, 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 you've either been that person or you've complained about that person who just zipped past you and look, they, they had to zip past me and, and right. almost get into an accident and look, they're, they're right in front of right me at the red me. light. And that's they didn't exactly, get any further than I did. You've no. nailed it. You, that's, and that's exactly, exactly the, the point I'm trying to make is that to say, could it just be, could it just be that if we redistribute our travel pattern through a more right-sized approach mm -hmm. on Florida Avenue, could it be that the experience might actually be more pleasurable right. if it is done in a, in a, in a rather softer way? Because you're going to get to that red light anyway. Maybe by this redistribution, you might actually spend fewer seconds at the red light, which right. might be even better and healthier. And guess what? Guess what you just might do in the core, in the core, Notice core of the corridor. Notice a business or two. Gosh darn it! When you know it, and you might Not actually run get over out of a your pedestrian car. Could or it, two. Yeah. Could, could it? Could it? Could it be that you right. might actually do that? Right. The other thing I'll mention, then I'll, I'll maybe I'll, I'll pass the baton to Chuck on a more uh, higher level. Is I don't know about you, but I did not get the memorandum that says that. Oh, oh, by the way, we put a, a moratorium on crashes. The universe put a moratorium on crashes. I did not get that memo. Did anybody, any of you I get that memo? I have not seen that inbox. memo. Mm -hmm. The memo, I didn't get it. It's not in my inbox. Crashes are still occurring because of the narrowness of the lanes. Uh, we, I, I called it right-sizing. It is not right-sized now, whether we like it Correct. or not. It's, it's right. allegedly five lanes, but it might as well be 4.2 lanes because it operates like a 4.2 uh, or 4. Point, at best 4.5 lane corridor. So. Those crashes are still ongoing. They're happening every day, one after another, side swipes, 
I shudder to think what it must feel like to be a pedestrian on those sidewalks when a truck or a bus with the um, side view mirrors mm -hmm. uh, pass by you within like five centimeters of your head yeah. when I'm not exaggerating. You yeah. know I'm not exaggerating. Yeah. Um, so that's the reality from an operational perspective that we have right now. And if we don't affect change soon, uh, like I say, that, mor that moratorium memo will not arrive. I haven't got it. No one's got it. It's going to continue. So, Chuck, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that from a higher level yeah, perspective. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, from a higher, you know, the uh, the 30,000-foot level, you know, community development, public works, parks and recreation, the city is about creating, a, a, a improving a quality of life and creating a sense of place. And we talked about this in the downtown area. As you go, floor, take Florida Avenue from downtown through Dixieland, I mean, you can see... And we have evidence of this from the from the mass plan DOT conducted a couple of years ago of what the street life was like 50, 60 years ago. Florida Avenue was a center point of the com of the community. It you know it bridged the gap between the east yeah. side of the road and the west side of the road. That's not the case anymore. You drive down there today, and 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 basically it's just like a straw. You're sucking the cars through to get to some point to the south or some point to the north, and along along the way you see the remnants of what used to be a, 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 a fully vibrant corridor. All the businesses along there have, you know, little signs and placards and painted windows that say enter from the back. You know, so we've got an alley system that's been improved by our community redevelopment agency to provide a better gateway from the backs of the buildings, but nothing that addresses the street. And we're but we're starting to see the the, the, the seeds of some just really cool stuff that's going on in that in that area from Hillcrest Coffee, Concord Coffee, Morning Bread. Hmm. Um, we're we're seeing investment and, and and people just I mean you go to Morning Bread on Saturday morning and the and the line of people are walking around the corner uh, and they're and they're protected from the oncoming traffic by you know a series of small orange cones you know i mean very just, very it handy the heck oh out of my it. gosh and, yeah. and, and so you, you you look at what you know what is trying to grow in this area and the people that really have a desire to have a sense of place and to be able to live uh patronize uh businesses work in an area and be able to get there on foot and on bike but Florida Avenue is just so hostile to that type of, of, of transportation, that type of lifestyle, that Im imagine what that corridor could look like if, if we tamed it. You know, if we made the traffic actually, heaven forbid, slow down to the 30 mile an hour posted speed that's already out there today. Right. You it's know, more of a suggestion. It's more of a suggestion, <laughs> right. It's you not know, really a rule. In, in terms of capacity, too, if you, if you, if you right. sit out there long enough and you look at the, how the traffic behaves on Florida Avenue, very seldom do you see cars running side by side. Most of the time they're staggered because right. people are not comfortable passing each other or traveling side by side because the, the, the lanes are so narrow. Um, you know, and so in terms of the capacity impact for those that are just worried about how many lanes do we have on Florida Avenue, you really don't have, and you hit it right on the head, Angelo, we don't have a full five lane section out there today. The, the, the new DOT standard for lane widths is, is about 11 feet. Right. It was 12 feet. The lane widths out there on Florida Avenue today are between eight and a half and nine feet wide. Yikes. Uh, right. when, when, when Florida Avenue resurfaced back in 2008, the, 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 the phone in the city manager's office was ringing off the hook because DOT actually put down the standard lane striping on Florida Avenue <laughs> and people were freaking out because 
there was so little room for error that it stuck out. And people thought that right. we had narrowed the road. Right. And, and, and so when you think about that and think about what we're trying to do in terms of, uh, of, of livability, uh, encouraging entrepreneurship, economic development, uh, community, Florida Avenue can be so much more than what it is right now. And so the, the, the intent is, uh, and we're working with the Department of Transportation now to um, run a schedule for the design and implementation of a test. The test would be in place for no less than one year um, and, and would run from Ariana Street on the south to Lime Street to the north. And through this test, we're, you know, the public will likely see concrete ribbons added on both sides of Florida Avenue, <coughs> uh, decorative planters uh, to, to, to really give the businesses and the pedestrians an idea of what the corridor could look like in the future, but to really actually demonstrate how Florida Avenue operates with one through lane in each direction in the middle turn lane as opposed to the two through lanes in the middle turn lane that exists today. Um, the hope is is that the design can occur within the next year and then by next July that the test is in place. We let it go for a year, year and a half, and a half. see how it operates, and then the community and the commission, city commission, would be asked to make a call on whether to move forward with a permanent road diet. Um, and and because everything is connected in this in the core of Lakeland uh, Public Works and, and is looking at other options to address sidewalk needs on Ariana Street, traffic coming on Patton Heights and Park. Other other quarters we're not thinking of right now. You know that traffic is going to get diverted. Lake you know, Morton Drive. Lake Morton Drive is another perfect <laughs> example from yeah. last night. Right. And 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 so this is going to be a very systematic approach to yes. get Florida Avenue back to where it can be and where it should be as a as a part of the community, not just a route to blast through if you're going from South Lake to North Absolutely. Lake. Absolutely. If I if I could add to that, yeah. uh, uh, from um, kind of a geeky me perspective I, I find it amazingly interesting too in the sense that this is to the best of my knowledge probably one of the most comprehensive test to to full full project completion or the other way around ratio uh, that I've ever seen to the point that that we're in fact we're going to be uh, presenting on this at one, one of our uh, one of our uh, oh, wow. uh, at our uh, Florida Institute of Transportation Engineers conferences, they felt that it was important enough because of the distinction between the test part of the process to the to the potential final completion that that is interesting enough and big enough. This is a big test. This is not we're not just <laughs> testing like a block, like 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 Chuck said, it's uh, Ariana to Lyme. About it's, a mile. It's about a mile. Yeah. Yeah. A mile length. That's a big test in the scheme of things, and particularly being on a DOT road. It sort of it, it, it sort of exemplifies the fact that they really want to work with us in partnership to make this work. So it's it's really exciting. I, I know a little geeky for me to say that, but I'm sorry. I get I I, I like this kind of stuff. To if we're going to get an opportunity to test a mile long corridor on on an FDOT road, a very important road for them and for us right. as a community, I think that's saying a lot about the agent the various agencies working together i really do yeah and and the the test is so very important for public relations purposes as well because you know much like the massachusetts avenue uh road diet i like to say road diet that's okay it's i know that's not I, your preferred i, I, I forgive you it's okay <laughs> <laughs> it's so catchy um 
but you know there was a lot of heartburn about that the I think the Commission and the city manager and you guys and in, in the transportation uh, world heard lots of complaints how it was gonna just you know add so much time to people's commute who go up to the work at the hospital or right or and it's it's a it's a breeze it I is. mean it's so you don't even notice that Abs it was ever there are virtually zero um, negative effects on on travel time I, there might have been a few seconds but I, I think is virtually zero more importantly from a safety perspective crashes are down almost 42 percent right we were going to have to repave it anyway right so the virtual additional cost or the delta on the cost was gosh i don't know five percent ten percent if that something in that order i right. don't know the exact numbers but a very small incremental increase in cost so we got 42 percent reduction in crashes for a very very small incremental cost and we, we developed about 60 additional parking spaces. When, when you look at it from that perspective, that's about a $100,000 garage right. for free. So we got a $100,000 garage for free that has zero operating maintenance costs. We've, we've got 42% reduction in crashes for a very small incremental cost. The benefit-cost ratio on that is huge. Yeah. And like you said quite, quite well, the any adverse effects on transportation are virtually zero. No, it's never zero, zero, but it's virtually zero. And right. uh, we're all pretty proud of that, and it works pretty well. And No, go ahead. So I was just going to say that I know that South Florida has a lot more vehicular traffic volume. than Massachusetts did. Wasn't Massachusetts between 9 and about 11? About 9,000, 9, 9, 11, depends where you count. looking at what, Chuck, on South Florida? Uh, about 27,000. So that's, 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 that's creeping high. up to be like, mm, this is too high to really reduce the lanes in some people's opinion. They feel like that number is really at the highest threshold it can be or maybe a little bit Not over. technically, perceptually maybe, but technically... Right sizing, right sizing is uh, an absolute no-brainer between twelve and fifteen thousand vehicles a day. Right. Okay. You would just kind of do it because, hey, why not? Let's which do it is Monday. What we did on Massachusetts. Which is basically what we did right. in Massachusetts. When uh, between fifteen and twenty-five, uh, there's a little more thought to it. Uh, and admittedly, between twenty-five and thirty-five, you have to look at it hard. It's not a no-brainer. You have right. to really look at it hard. But looking at something hard doesn't mean, therefore, don't do it. Right. It just means look at it hard. Right. And look at it carefully and, and, and with a lot of thought. And with maybe a test. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and for people that are worried about what a major change that's going to be uh, for a major route to, through the city, I mean, the example that I always like to use uh, is the downtown street system and Lake Mirror Drive. I mean, when I first came to Lakeland in, in, in 1994, Lemon Street and Main Street were one-way pairs east-west, and the rest of the downtown grid were one-way pairs, you know, in, in, in all four directions. And so you could come through uh, off of George Jenkins Boulevard, come through downtown, around Lake Mirror, and hit Bartow Road and not really have to stop. I mean, you could blast through downtown. It was a very stark environment, um, very little business activity on any of those streets, and nobody was wanting to walk out there because the, mm. the, the, the conditions were so poor. So when the city started to talk about converting those streets to two-way and, and removing portions of Lake Mirror Drive, gee, where Lake Mirror Park is today, uh, and turning that back to the public, um, there were a lot of concerns about what that would do to traffic. And if you go out there today and look at Kentucky Avenue, or if you look at 
Lake Mirror Park and, and Lemon Street Promenade and, and how those streets have really, and those public areas have transformed and, and, and really have taken downtown to the next level, it's really hard to, you know, hard to see where the controversy was. Right. And, and, and yes, the volumes mm-hmm. on Florida Avenue are, are, are high. Um, but, you know, we're not looking at this corridor in a vacuum. You know, we've got plans to right. extend Wabash, extend, you know, Wabash Avenue south of Ariana Street, which mm-hmm. will take some of the traffic off of Hardin, which would be the natural bypass route for Florida Avenue. We're working with the Department of Transportation now on improvements to Bartow Road. Right. And they've just started the design of, of, of those improvements between Edgewood and Main Street. And so, again, and, and, you know, we need the funding to do those other, those other parallel projects. Right. But we're trying to build enough capacity across the system to handle the traffic increase and not focus it all in one spot right through the middle of town. And, and that's really kind of the point here is, is we, we're, we're looking at this from a systematic standpoint. And, and, and the intent is, is to, again, get rid of that east-west divide depending on what side of Florida Avenue that you're on. And, and yeah. I said this, and I heard it also when we went to visit Orlando to look at their... Uh, some of Roosevelt, I think, Avenue. And Edgewater. Edgewater, Edgewater yeah. yes. And and I've said this to people, and, and, and I heard their folks say it too, that we want you to come to downtown and to Dixieland, not drive through. Right. So we care more about the people, um, and that's a little harsh to say we care more about the people, but <laughs> we care more about having people have a good experience who are coming to rather than just through and so when you're looking at i think it's habits i think people are just you know everyone takes south florida because they're just in the habit of doing that but i think if some Mm -hmm. of those users that are just going through shift to to harden i think they'll find that they're even if they're if they're traveling um a little bit west to come back again to get where they're going you're going to get there in about the same amount of time or or maybe even faster in certain circumstances than staying on South Florida. So it's really about habits. We are creatures of habit with traffic. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to, if we make it uncomfortable a little bit, at least initially in the minds, even though I think if they, like you said, once they do it, you'll find that you really aren't losing any time. time. Um, But they might choose an, an alternate route. But what they said in Orlando with Edgewater is that they found that yeah initially people peeled off into the neighborhoods because they were like this is going to take me forever and then they came back to the corridor Mm -hmm. that tends to happen a lot in in these sorts of situations we also because our relationship with FDOT uh, we're also working with them uh, going back to that uh, sort of democratic uh, coordination Mm -hmm. again so they're they're happy to work with us to potentially uh, optimize the, the, the signalization system as well. There are two, there are two coordinated sections on, on Florida Avenue, um, and I think it's at Flor- uh, Frank Lloyd Wright to the south and Frank Lloyd Wright to the north, if I remember correctly. So they're going to work with us to see if we could better merge those two seg- sectors together in a more optimized way. We're going to invest um, in what are called blue, what's called blue-toe technology, at the signalized intersections to get real-time real-time data, second-by-second real-time data to know exactly uh, the volume of traffic going through each, po- each signalized point, how fast they're going, uh, what kind of movements they're making, so that we can better analyze how to optimize a signal system uh, once uh, we actually do the test. So we're hoping that 
together. Sure, we'll be right-sizing the test, of course. At the same time, we'll be using technology to also enhance the mobility of the corridor. Right. Not to make it faster, because that's not what it's about. Right. We're frankly, uh, we're, we don't think that economic development equals going faster, because going faster means that, that much fewer views of business. And I don't think that's right. In our view, it's not healthy for mm -hmm. business to, to whiz by a business and not even know it's there. So it's not a question of speed. It's a question of mobility and the disbursement of the vehicles in a systemized way. So you could argue, what's wrong with fast? Fast is good. Well, no, because it's actually going to then create all kinds of congestion at the terminals. We don't want that. We want to distribute the traffic in an orderly fashion. And in fact, I'm sure everyone's heard, we never do it, none of us do it. When you're on the freeway, you're supposed to stay two seconds away from each other. There's a reason for that. It's safer, obviously, for braking purposes. But believe it or not, you can actually move more traffic if you stay separated from each other at that two second mark. Well, what happens as soon as you get a little bit of congestion, that two seconds come, becomes 1.5 seconds, one second, and gosh darn it, we're on each other's bumper. Right, and the, constantly braking. And constantly braking. And you wonder, why is no one driving? Exactly. What, what is wrong with those people Right, there? but I do it too. I admit <laughs> it. Mia culpa. I'm, I'm just as bad. It's well, just whenever a habit I leave, of driving. When I leave that two seconds, somebody fills it in. Right, <laughs> yes. I try to leave the two seconds, and <laughs> right. then someone's like, oh, an empty space. I'm going to fill it. There you go. It's it, so annoying. It, it is very annoying. You feel annoying. like you're moving backwards. <laughs> yes. It's right, like right, exactly. Me. Exactly. So it's kind of interesting. I, I really in my heart and mind really believe that this, this um, test to give this right size in a chance, and like, like Chuck says, let, let's at least give it a solid 12 months minimum. Mm -hmm. Hopefully 18 months mm -hmm. would be even better. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's commit to 12 months. Yes, it's gonna be challenging for the first month or so. People are gonna be upset. I'm gonna be upset. Because I'm, I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, I used to be able to do this in eight seconds. Now it's going to take me nine. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, but I'll get over it because right. I'm thinking longer term. And I'm thinking, can you imagine what it must have been like 25, 30 years ago when, like Chuck said, downtown was frankly not really much of a downtown. And somebody must have had some good idea to do something. And can you imagine he or she, how pummeled they must have been mm -hmm. with, oh, you're crazy, why are you th even thinking of doing this? Well, if, if he or she or they didn't start, right. we wouldn't have the kind of downtown that we have today. Right. It's fabulous, it's vibrant. It's a really cool downtown. And somebody took a chance and did it. Mm -hmm. I think we need to just take a chance and frankly just do it uh, thoughtfully, not rashly, right. thoughtfully. And I think with um, with Chuck's and and, and, with uh, and the, with John the, John uh, Casey's leadership mm -hmm. working together, they they're they're working with DOT in a very thoughtful, methodical way, so this is done appropriately. Right, and and you, and, and you get the get out of jail free card. Of it's a test. It's a test. And exactly. So, it's only know, a if, test. If after eighteen months, all those people right. that peeled off and went into the neighborhoods you know, are still in the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods are, you know, just jam packed like a freeway. Right. You know, then and you everything you've tried to address that isn't working. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, again, the, the, the test should give everyone sort of that. OK, you know, right. it's not it's not we've not signed, sealed and delivered this. Right. We're going to. And we're it's gonna not the time. and it's not like we've all committed. I know this kind of sounds kind of weird and government. It's not government speak, but it we, it's not 
about egos. I mean, if the test fails, we'll be the first to admit it. Right. It's not about saying, oh, we're right. This is the answer. Get out of my way. We're going to do this test. And the test is just uh, a temporary thing because we really want to do the real thing. Mm-hmm. No, it's a genuine test to really see if this will work. And I'll, say, I'll speak for myself. I'll be the first to admit I was wrong. If it was flat out wrong and it should have been back to the five lane section, even though it isn't a five lane section, it's only a 4.3 lane section or 4.2 lane section, then so be it. I'll right. eat my hat. I'll uh, I'll eat the hat. Fine. I'll, I'll admit <laughs> to my mistake, but well, we got to give it an honest try. What What's the reality though? I mean, has DOT Chuck talked at all about if this doesn't work, um, or if if the citizens of this commission didn't didn't approve the test? If the commission was like, "There's no way we're doing this. We're hearing from constituents. They don't want it." What would be the alternative? Because they can't leave the road the way it is. Right, and and that and that's been that's you know question. one one of the things that. Um, you know, I, it has, was, has been pretty groundbreaking is actually getting the acknowledgement from, from the community and, and from the, our elected officials that the road doesn't function well right now. So that is the first step to say, what, what do we do? And that's the kind of the opening the gate to, to, to try the test. If the test uh, fails, uh, you know, and that would be determined on, you know, how do we come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are sidewalk improvements that absolutely have to be made, intersection mm. improvements that have to be made. Um, drainage know, issues drainage that need issues, to be resolved. Drainage issues are mm-hmm. huge. The lighting needs to be upgraded. <clears throat> I mean, there are a lot of other things that can be done to improve the corridor, and, and you will see an incre- incremental benefit from those, from those improvements. I personally don't think they're going to be as significant as if you if you if you change the cross section of the road. But those are some things that can be done to at least make it a safer safer facility. You you walk down the sidewalks right now, and especially when you get down uh, towards the Dixie Line Mini Mall and that area by Patterson, the sidewalks actually pitch you towards towards the street. And, uh, oh my gosh! Uh, kind just of kind of leaning you over yeah. to the yeah. street. And 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 one of the one of the things that really kind of got this back on. Uh, DOT's radar uh, was about four years ago, almost exactly four years ago. Uh, Indie Atlantic Films has an office down in, in, in the in the mini mall area, and somebody in a wheelchair actually fell into Florida Avenue oh. in front of their offices. So they, they 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 got the person back onto the sidewalk hmm. and approached the city and, and 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 basically saying something has to happen. They actually put together a minute-long video that we just showed uh, a couple of weeks ago at the state planning conference in West Palm of this is what Florida Avenue is like today and the chaos is out there uh, and the hazards that are there for the pedestrians and for the bicyclists. And so that, that incident really led to a movement that has gotten us to where we are today. Yeah. Um, you know, and so will the test be successful? I mean, time, the, the time, the data, and the community will tell us uh, if it mm-hmm. if it is or isn't, mm-hmm. but going forward, something has to happen on Florida Avenue, and and we have that you know we have the opportunity to have that conversation, and and and, and figure out what to do moving forward. So going back to Angela's comment about the people standing in line for Born and Bred, and or maybe Actually, Chuck, Chuck said Chuck, that. Sorry, Chuck, Chuck said yeah, that. But um, I concur. Though. You did. You did agree. <laughs> I, it was it was such a good agreement that I remembered it. Um, but that's that's something that's interesting. That's kind of can segue into into parking, and I and let just follow my lead here for a moment. This is how I'm segueing. You've got a you've got a very popular business uh, that has a product that 
it has a finite time that she's selling. You know, she's got a good little gig there with like, you can't have this eight hours a day, seven days a week. It's just on Saturday mornings. So you have these people who are scrambling looking for parking all over Dixieland. You've got um, lined up on this very narrow sidewalk with very fast traffic coming by, no shade. But they're doing it because they want that experience. They want the experience of those cruffins. And I get it. They're yummy. <laughs> um, but so to me, and, and in, in you and I talk a lot about parking, um, it's people have a very emotional relationship with parking. And they, they complain about downtown parking all the time when there really isn't a, a, a big problem other than at lunchtime when everyone wants to be at the same place at the same time. But I, I kind of talk about from my perspective, it's we as a city and the LDDA and anybody who's invested in downtown, if we can create an experience that is so amazing that you will scramble and look for parking and stand in a line for an hour or more in the sun to be at whatever this experience is that we create, I don't think anyone's complaining about parking for that particular experience on Saturday morning. So mm -hmm. it's twofold. It's, you know, the capacity of parking, we have to have it. Mm -hmm. um, but there are lots of places, St. Augustine being one of them. I mean, if you can find any place to park in St. Augustine, blocks and blocks and blocks away mm -hmm. from St. George Street, yeah. you think you've hit the jackpot and you don't care how much it costs because there's an experience there that yeah. you want. And you know, it kind of, we, we touched upon it at the very beginning about the notion of spending a lot of money on a holiday to, to find a place or to have enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Like St. Augustine, St. Augustine is one of my favorite Floridian cities. Uh, in my private sector days, I, I, I actually counted one time that in a three year period, I had a six, 62 night hotel stay uh, because of my client in, 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 that, in that area in my private sector days. I loved it. Mm. I, I had every excuse. I tell my client, oh, but don't you need a red pen? I'll come and bring you a red pen, <laughs> you know, just to be there again, because I, I just love St. Augustine. And uh, so there's a different mindset when you're on holiday or you're on a non-business or non-nine-to-five environment. When you're there as like a visitor or a fun seeker, mm. or Atlantic Ocean seeker, whatever the seeker you are, your mindset is different on how you handle your day. No, and it's no different with parking. Parking then becomes just another thing to do as part of going to the beach or going to St. George Street or whatever the amenity or the museums that you want to go to. When you're on a nine to five basis and it's the drudgery of going to work or a business <laughs> meeting or having to be scolded at at the LDDA, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Um, it's a different mindset. I just want to park the Dagon thing, get it over with, go to my meeting. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully even lunch. If even have lunch, yeah, or whatever yeah. it is, exactly, whatever it is. But I want to get it over with and move on. It's less about the experience and more about I just got to do my thing and move on. So parking now becomes almost like a job. Mm-hmm. And, and so we look at it differently than your example of St. Augustine, where you're a visitor. On the other hand, 
why can't we have visitation to Lakeland? Why can't Lakeland be a visitation site? I think it is. Your numbers prove it, that people come mm-hmm. to have lunch from other towns, nearby towns or businesses uh, to have lunch in downtown Lakeland. Uh, we have finite spots, let's be honest. I've only got so many spaces, right. literally. I have 547 on-street parking spaces and about, oh gosh, in the order of maybe 1,500 off-street spaces. Um, right. Many so, of which are leased out and are unavailable to the public anyway. So really we have finite numbers of spaces. You and I, you mentioned earlier, have worked together to create some solutions. Admittedly, they're microscopic solutions. They're not going to be transforming solutions, but they're a step in the right direction. Like, for example, the 2725 program where we charge only 25 cents an hour, unlimited, on the uh, peripherals of the downtown, like on Orange Street or North Mass or... Um, West Main. West Main, thank you. So if you're willing to walk three blocks, three, I didn't say 30, just three, uno, dos, three, spa- three blocks, you get to virtually park for free downtown all day. Not a lot of people like to do that, but guess what? It's building. We're starting to show... We started with about something, I don't know, it was something in the order of maybe, I don't know, 70 or 80 uses a month. And now we're up to about 175. We're going to break the 200 mark really soon in terms of uses in those peripheral zones. So money talks Mm -hmm. if you're willing to walk. So you walk the talk for money. I love it. That all rhymes. You know, and uh, (laughs) so so that that can work. And and that's something, frankly, we work together on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you saw a need. Uh, we have the tools to be able to do that, and, and it's working. The other uh, issue with folks who provide services, uh, we working together, we, we developed a free after three parking in the uh, Main Street garage on the lower level, up to Cedar a- a entrance. Those are, they sound, they are small. They don't mm-hmm. just sound small, they are small. There's no question about that. But I, it's funny, I have a presentation that I do with, with traffic operations in terms of, uh, incremental incrementalism and in that presentation i have uh michelangelo creating david <laughs> and come to find out that he he had he estimated that he hit the marble four million times mm-hmm. four million blows of the chisel to create david so I, I i think of that as an incremental approach of creating a masterpiece one blow at a time and it's one of the most viewed uh, art pieces in the history of the world after four million blow, blows mm-hmm. to that marble. So it's just, we have to do it incrementally uh, because we don't have millions of dollars to spend on these solutions. So uh, these small little pieces of the puzzle coming together are actually making some changes. I'm hearing that there appears to be more mobility and more turnover because of this, these two small changes that we're making that we have made, it's starting to help to create turnover. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I will. It fe- she will anyway. <laughs> she would correct me if I'm wrong, if, I, if, I, if I'm wrong, if I was right. So That's, it does, true. Yeah. That's true. But uh, just, just for fun. But I mean, you have to smart, start small and, and keep building on it. We are talking about creating a universal, working together, creating a universal valet system downtown, which is very unique, where we have one drop-off location, probably in the Munn Park parking lot, and then being able to be picked up anywhere in the downtown core. So you get you get dropped off, you drop off your car at the Munn Park lot, 
And then let's say, for example, you decide, you and your friend or whomever decide to um, visit three or four places downtown um, in, in, at lunchtime or in the evening, and you come to find out that you want to be picked up, uh, let's say, somewhere around Lemon Street. Um, Julie has been operating this great SMS system, electronic um, command system, where you simply request your, your car back on your phone. Mm-hmm. And you say, I'm ready, pick me up in 10 minutes, and you get picked up elsewhere in the downtown core. Nobody has that. Mm -hmm. Most people have a singular drop-off place and a singular pickup place. and Or you might have different stations, mm -hmm. very specific stations. But to have the universality of being picked up anywhere downtown, I think is really unique. I would do it just for the cool factor. <laughs> I, I would do it just to bug you, Julie, right, just to course. say, I'm going to drop it off at Mun Park like I have to, and I'm going to go to the furthest corner <laughs> possible, <laughs> diametrically opposite, right. just, to, just to tick off uh, Julie. I think I have a lot of fun doing that. But that's pretty cool. And that is another virtual garage, because if we have, let's say, five spaces in the Mun Park parking lot as collector spaces, what if those five spaces generate... 100 or 150 or 200 turnovers. That means that we sacrifice five spaces for, for I don't know, what, what's the multiplication on that? 20 to 1, 30 to 1, 40 to 1? You're it's, the engineer. Well, it, 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 it just depends on what actually <laughs> happens in real life. The point being that we end up, and I'm using your term actually, Julie came up with it with the term virtual garage. That's basically what will happen is that we'll be building a virtual garage with very, very few spaces to sacrifice. Right. And uh, I hats off to you. That's a great term. Thank you. Well, speaking of technology with the SMS and all of that, you know, folks are, are still uh, confused by, and, and I think you have said many times that in all of your experience, both public and private, and Chuck, I'm sure you can weigh in on this with your vast knowledge of how other cities operate, no one has this two-hour free and then pay some some amount of money after that right. on the street the way we do. Right. And um, we did that because back many years ago, the, the merchants really were hurting and needed some, some relief and thought, well, some free parking for my customers is gonna, it's gonna do it. That's gonna fix everything. But the, the, the challenge is communicating exactly what that means and does right. it mean per space and I can move my, my car into mm -hmm. a different space? Does it mean per block and I can just move to a different block? Is it all of downtown? Well, what defines downtown? What are the, where's the map that tells me where downtown is? And so there's been a lot of rumblings like just, just put in meters and call it a day. Everybody understands when they see a meter, they mm -hmm. know what it means. They may have to still read the rules on how to use that meter when they get up there or that pay by space machine for that block. Mm -hmm. And you're reluctant to do that. So tell us mm -hmm. why that's a bad idea in your it, view. It's not a bad idea. I mean, a lot of cities, uh, lo local governments have individual parking meters, most electronic. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. At least it's not the crank, the old crank style. They're, they're very high-tech, electronic, communicating devices, basically computers on the road. They're very sophisticated. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all wrong with that. Um, they're, they're expensive. There's communication expense as well as the capital expense. And then there's the maintenance, maintenance expense. So there's a lot of expenses associated with having this device. On the good side, you're right. It's... It, 
that speaks plain English. Mm -hmm. There's a meter. There's my space. I either put money in or I put in a credit card or some other debit card or whatever the system operates, and you go on your way. You pay for the amount of time that you're allowed. Most places still permit only a two-hour maximum anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you've gotten away with free unlimited, or excuse me, not free, but uh, paid unlimited parking. Whether you have the meter or not, most local governments will still impose a time limit. Right. Not because they're mean, mean old government. <laughs> it's because the merchants will suffer if you don't have a time limit. Because the very people that you want in front of your shop will not be there. Because they can't be there. They're pushed out by the long-term parker, even if they're willing to pay for it. Right. So, yes, if it's just a cash cow you're looking for, fine. Put in the meters. Make, them, make it unlimited parking. So Fred and Ethel could go park at a meter for 10 hours, pump it full of money. We'll make a ton of money. And then you only have one parker per space. Right. And I would dare say that absolutely, I can't think of a single merchant, you help me out here, uh, in your LDDA, not one that I could think of that would prefer to have a one parker per day space. Can you think of one? I cannot. Cannot think of one. So even whether we pay or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is the turnover. So you're still going to put the time limit on the meters. So why would I want to go spend thousands of dollars in capital costs, operations costs, maintenance costs, communications costs, for something that is working almost for free right now. It makes mm -hmm. no sense. You still require that two hours. In fact, we've been very generous. We've said you could buy up to two additional hours at a dollar an hour for a total of four, two free and two paid. And that's pretty generous. In fact, in a way, it, it, there's a reluctancy there because now, you can park for half a day. And I, and I still think that's problematic in terms right. of the merchants. But somehow we found that as a sweet spot. Most people don't park four hours. Most people park between two and three hours kind mm -hmm. of thing. They'll get their two free hours and maybe buy one more or maybe a half hour more mm -hmm. or something like that. So, so far it seems to be working reasonably well. There's a sweet spot of about two and a half to three hours of parking, which is working well. So that, I hope I've answered your question as yes. to why I'm reluctant to go spend money on something, frankly, I don't need. Right. I don't need it, especially with right. Park Mobile uh, being, being available and almost everybody having a phone. Not everybody does have a mobile phone. Uh, on the other hand, you don't have to do it with a mobile phone. You could go to Fred and Ethel's shop and buy it with their business phone. It's not a mobile phone service. It's a phone service. Correct. You can right. do it any way you want. Right. So... That's kind of the, the, the logic behind my reluctance to go spend precious city dollars on a device that, frankly, we don't need. I don't want to bring up other communities, but since you did, mm -hmm. you did bring up other communities. City of Dunedin, not even a year ago. In fact, I'm thinking, I hope I'm right in terms of the, something in the order of eight or nine months ago, if that, when it invested hundreds of thousands of dollars on pay stations throughout the downtown to be able to charge for parking. <coughs> well, last two weeks, two weeks ago, I think, something like that, early September, they're all bagged mm. because of the complaints of the, the paid system. So they took a hardware, a very expensive hardware, $10,000 a pop, 
times 30. Wow. Even I can do that math <laughs> at 300 grand. Okay. So they bagged $300,000 worth of hardware because they took the paid approach to create more turnover, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But invested it in this hardware system as well, only to find out that they went and bagged it. And I don't know about you, but 300 grand is a lot of money. I don't care how wealthy your community is. Can they keep the receipt? Can they bring it back? <laughs> right? I mean, uh, that's a chunk of money. Now, I don't know what they're going to do with it. They may re re reconsider. Whatever it is, all I can tell you for sure is they're bagged right yeah. now and, uh, and inoperable. And it's back to free parking again. So I don't want to have that mistake. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've taken the approach of piggybacking on an already hardware-less parking system. I think you and I have talked about this a lot in terms of creating a hardware-less parking system similar to SunPass mm -hmm. with uh, toll plazas where, where you'll become a member of parking and it'll depreciate your membership based on your parking um, uh, issues, including, I'm afraid to say, citations, if you do get a cit parking citation. Um, but we have ways of f dealing with that in the future as well. But our goal is to have a completely hardware-less system within the next year. That's our goal. I was hoping it would be this year. The technology is harder to crack than I thought, but we're gonna get it. We're gonna get it done. And eventually uh, we'll have it such that there'll be even no pay stations at all. And Park Mobile will be your choice if you feel like it, but you don't have to because you'll be a member. So we think that that is the most cost-effective and most efficient way of doing business uh, and not having plastic bags over these devices. Right. That's unsightly. It's yes. very unsightly. Now, you could get pretty plastic <laughs> bags, I suppose, okay. and make it look a lot nicer, but I still don't recommend it. Well, so is that membership, how does that work for visitors? Because, you know, I'm, I frequent downtown, obviously, quite a bit. And even if it's not during a work day and there I am, uh, you know, um, parking and going to lunch, uh, you, I know that I know the system. If I'm visiting and all of a sudden I park and I really don't see any signs that say go to a pay station, I'm thinking it's free parking. I'm going right. to stay here for five, six, seven hours. And now all of a sudden, what, two weeks later, I get a bill in the mail. So you're absolutely right. And we will do our best to sign it uh, up to a certain point because then there's the issue of sign pollution. I think Chuck talked about that earlier, <laughs> that there's, there are limitations as to how many signs you want to put up because right. it really looks unsightly, really. And we agree with that. Um, so one technique uh, that we're going to have, we're going to do some, mar uh, some marketing campaign working with folks like yourself and our communications department, obviously. We're also going to do it the old-fashioned way, too. So what we'll probably do is uh, for the first round, is have um, a kind of a moratorium period where the first time that you park and truly are not aware of a paid system that we will offer you uh, obviously a warning in terms of this parking rule and kind of bribe you in a way <laughs> on the spot with a membership bribe mm -hmm. to, to have you consider becoming a member. And so that if you do become a member, uh, I'll have to work out the legalities and, and all that. There are a lot of uh, I's and T's, I's to dot and T's to cross here to make sure. But if it passes mustard, to be able to provide just a warning instead of a citation, uh, become a member, 
and do something like provide you with some free parking to encourage you to become a member. All online, all for free, and you're done. You're a member. You're good to go. So we're hoping that that would be the way that we deal with um, visitors right. uh, and, and, and non-residents. We're hoping that residents, oh, by the way, uh, anywhere from 60 to 70% of our parkers are repeat customers. So right, we've already got about two-thirds at least that are potential cu permanent customers with us. Right, and so that's good other, data to know. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah <clears throat> these are folks who, who are familiar enough with Lakeland to know that they probably need to pick up a parking brochure and learn the rule, or they learned the hard way and got a ticket once, and right. that, that caused right. them to, to go educate themselves. And we certainly want to make sure that we are doing a huge education campaign on any changes agreed. that come to parking. Cause totally agreed. You know, it's not about the citations. It's about right. the behavior. We're looking for a specific behavior, which is Turn, turnover, turnover, frankly. Just turnover get in, in the get core. Out. Do your you business. Move. We love you to do your business. Spend some money, whatever you need to do. Right. By the way, <laughs> I'm sorry about all these by the ways, <laughs> is that I've read various studies. I think, I don't know, Chuck, if you've read some of these planning studies on parking, perhaps, where depending on which city you live in and depending on the uh, on the expenditure uh, and the value of goods and services in each city is different, that a parking space downtown is worth anywhere between $50,000 and a quarter of a million dollars per space per year of economic generation. Mm. Now, again, it varies. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that a space in uh, Manhattan <laughs> where uh, you know a cappuccino might cost 22 bucks or whatever it is <laughs> is going to generate a lot of cash while we're not quite at that level in terms of our cost of living down here but still i would venture that and if you did the math uh, i think we actually did the math and in lakeland we estimated somewhere between 35 and 65 thousand dollars per space depending on how much folks are willing to spend at dinner right. shopping um, beverages, whatever, whatever it is, and you add that up on a day-to-day -day basis, lunches, uh, it really starts to add up when you start parking for, what, 250 days a year at all, at 547 spaces, you do the math, and it's a lot of, ch it's a chunk of change. Yeah. So parking can be an economic generator in itself. So it has that little uh, eight foot by 22 foot piece of real estate is generating <laughs> A lot of money. Yeah, and and and, that, and, that, and that's why you know even expanding out from downtown area, we're trying as much as we can to have less of a focus on larger um, off-street parking lots, and try to work on-street parking within you know redevelopment plans and other other types of programs, so that we have more of an inventory of you know big, making better use of the right-of-way to be not just the transportation way, but also place for on-street parking and see what we can do to reduce the parking requirements on development sites um, so that you know we get we get more we get more usage that way and we have less real estate that's sitting fallow for extended periods of time um, but the intent too is is to, to, to have that turnover and and to set the infrastructure up so that the parking can be an asset that can generate business activity and, and economic development um, you know, as opposed to just by store car. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and and just thinking about um, just your local convenience store. You know, if you're if that's the place that you like to pop in and get milk, you're not going to park <coughs> three blocks away from it 
and go there to get your milk and then walk back to your car that's not convenient right and right. if the parking spaces at your convenience store are always full and there's never an opportunity for you to park there you're going to go somewhere else and so right. that's kind of that the on-street parking is 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 like that for all of the downtown businesses you can spend three four hours in downtown if you do lots of things that park once mentality of shop and eat and visit the park and you know walk around the beautiful francis langford promenade you can enjoy a full day in downtown but if you are going to spend that amount of time in downtown or anywhere you're probably more likely and more willing to walk from a further distance from where you're parking but those people who are coming in that 60 and 70 percent of the people that are coming in that know downtown right. they probably work somewhere else close by and they need to get in quickly to get get lunch for their hour they don't want to spend 15 minutes looking for a place to park mm -hmm. circling finding walking maybe paying at a pay station that eats up your your lunch hour right so that's that's where we have to try to find those solutions for for those folks and I think that's where the valet right. is going to come in and try to say look you have a guaranteed spot in Mun Park parking lot yes. with your name on it not really but it's always if it, there if it helps we'll do that we'll create little <laughs> labels I'll be happy to do that okay. <laughs> but you take away the guesswork you give the people the parkers certainty now yeah if you're going to frescoes or mojos park park walking from the Mun Park parking lot is probably not as ideal as parking on South Kentucky, mm -hmm. but your chances are slim on South Kentucky at lunchtime and, right. and Tennessee now and even Orange right. Street. So the opportunity to say, I can park there, but guess what? I don't have to walk back. They'll come and pick right. me up. Well, well, on that note, uh, our as you know, our first phase is to have a centralized drop-off point. Nothing precludes us, if this is successful, to have, uh, to have satellite drop-off points right. as well. So... Maybe it might be prudent and not not right away because it's costly. Let's say that it is successful, and uh, and then in fact you come to find out by the data because that's the beauty of the system. It's right. data driven. That the data indicates that a lot of the ultimate or early destination is let's say Lemon Street. Well, we the data will then give us enough ammunition to say okay, we think that it's it, it's valuable to have uh, a satellite drop-off location at around Lemon and Kentucky, for example, mm -hmm. so that you can drop off the car there. And if you change your mind and want to be picked up back, ironically, at Munn Park, <laughs> which would be really interesting to see that happening, you will be able to do that. But not yet. We just don't think we right. have the, the data and the resources to have multiple drop-off points. Uh, we, we think, we know, we know we have enough resources to have uh, infinite pickup locations mm -hmm. in the downtown area. Uh, just not sure about the satellite locations for drop-off just yet. Right. But certainly we have that in our hip pocket to be able to do that if, if the demand and the data shows it. Well, you were talking about changing signal times and things like that earlier, and I want to go back to tying this all back uh, into trains, my yes. favorite subject. And when we do have a train that mm -hmm. quite often stops in the middle of downtown for an extended period of time, and we see traffic backing up on both sides. There's some solutions that are coming down the it, way. It, exactly. Um, probably within the next month, uh, the public will start to see what we call it's a motorist bypass system. 
um, implemented on Florida Avenue, basically starting at Ariana Street to the south, Memorial Boulevard to the north. And what that system will do is alert motorists to when the gates are down at the Florida Avenue rail crossing downtown. And that alert system will tell the motorists to prepare and then turn down Lime or uh, George Jenkins Boulevard to get over to Sykes Boulevard to go around that Florida Avenue rail crossing. Um, the, the original system was supposed to have been more dynamic and was based on and would have been based on the expected delay based on the speed and the length of the trains. The software to develop that type of dynamic system was going to be extremely expensive and so um, we're starting off with kind of the, 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 the bare bones system which will be effective. Um, it will buy, you know, it will give us time for technology to catch up and, and have the more dynamic system in the, in the future. But um, you will start to see construction activities uh, in the middle of October. Um, completion is expected sometime early next summer. Um, but you'll, you'll be driving through on Florida Avenue, say if you're going through Dixieland or uh, into the south side of downtown, the traffic signals will have little uh, what we call blank out signs that don't show any messages until the gates come down. The, the signs will light up with a little railroad symbol and it says uh, bypass route. And so we'll tell the motorist to start to think about that bypass route so that when you get up to Lime Street, it will point you down towards Sykes Boulevard. There will be also some ground-mounted signs that uh, will tell you how to get back to State Road 37 for Florida Avenue and US 98. Uh, so you, you won't be abandoned uh, on, that, on that detour route. The, for truck movements, that's one of the things that we're still working on with the Department of Transportation. Um, as late as today, um, they are looking at other ways to guide southbound trucks off of Sykes Boulevard back to Florida Avenue. It's probably going to be somewhere down around the Pole Parkway and in the, in the Parkway Frontage Road. Um, so those details are still getting worked out. But I think what that system will do is, one, let motorists know when the gates are down at the, at the rail crossing, but also, um, and probably more importantly, is to let folks know that if you're trying to go through downtown, uh, maybe think about Sykes and Harden Boulevard as opposed to Florida Avenue to make that to make that movement um, but that was this this system is funded by the Department of Transportation it is an outgrowth of the Polk Rail study uh, from several years ago that was tied to the uh, uh, new rail uh, facility in Winter Haven and, and the whole Sun Rail proposal in, in, in Orlando so this is something that the Commission's action and their request and demand for short-term mitigation measures um, is, is really starting to uh, kind of bear itself out with this with this initial project in addition to uh, pedestrian overpasses on New York Avenue and in the vicinity of Lake Mirror. So that's this is the first the, the, the first real tangible project coming out of that, that discussion. So it won't be able to detect how long the train is and the speed and how long it will take to pass through downtown. So it's not just going to be for trains that are stopped. It's going to be for all trains. That, all trains that okay. are moving through through downtown, which are probably, <laughs> what, the 28 to 30 a day range if yeah. you account for both freight trains and, and Amtrak. Amtrak. Mm -hmm. the, the, what, what made the original plan very expensive was the, was the need for cameras that would have been mounted at the Polk Parkway towards Auburndale on one end and, and, and West Lakeland on the other end. And it would have gauged the speed and the length of the trains, uh, would have converted it into, you know, through an algorithm to a, a, basically the computer would say, okay, is it going to be a three-minute delay or is it going to be a five-minute delay? And if it was going to be somewhere in that range, then the detour system would have been enacted because it's going to be about a three-minute delay or additional time to use a detour route. 
And if it was going to be a minute or two, basically you just would not say anything. You right. just you know wait your you know wait at, wait wait on Florida Avenue. So this I know Angela, you do have a you know I've heard you express your concern about yeah. uh, you know folks that use a detour route in the train maybe a minute coming right. through. Right. You right. Know, and, and they're that frustrated. They're that frustrated. That they're losing <laughs> right. time. Right. Um, so, so our ask of DOT is, is that this is the first phase of a multi-phase system that does yeah. give us that more information. The, the, the software to have had the more dynamic system, the ultimate system, would have been about $600,000 just in terms of software development. Right, right. And based on the budget, you know, budget, budgetary constraints and, the, and, frankly, the timeline of getting this implemented, it was just seen as being too, too, too expensive. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we do want to have a system that, that, that is more effective, and, and I think the data coming out of this initial this initial launch will tell us a whole lot of where we need to go from uh, here. Absolutely. And our team will ma uh, maintain the system once it's, uh, once it's, once it's in the ground, the, the dynamic signs, the, uh, the uh, traffic controller operations. Uh, we will monitor <coughs> through our traffic management center all of the activities associated with it. Right now, we have a preemptive uh, cycle, so every time a train does, well, I take that back, every time the gates go down, every time the gates go down, we get an activation to activate the signal system differently. And so that's our way of knowing the data associated with how many, like, like Chuck said, uh, 25 to 30 trains per, per day. For us, the language is, 25 to 35 preemptions per day. Mm. That's how we count because it's the same thing anyway. Right. Uh, in fact, oftentimes the, the, the uh, arms go down by mistake. Right. And we count that mm -hmm. because as far as we're concerned, the, our, our public is interrupted by the gate. Yeah. It's not yeah, it the train, matter. it's the gate. It's the gate. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so Chuck is absolutely right that, that uh, the current system will allow us, it's almost like a practice run to get the system going from an informational perspective and a dynamic messaging perspective and our observational perspective at the TMC, mm -hmm. Traffic Management Center. Once we prove that this could work, Chuck uh, kind of used some of his miracle power. He's just awesome. Huh. Uh, he is, um, I think Chuck is probably personally, he's probably, he's probably collected probably 100 times his salary in grants and, and systems by other <laughs> governments. We thank Chuck immensely <laughs> to helping keeping our costs down. Um, but... Uh, Great so, partnerships. Yeah, that, great, that, great, that, partnerships. great partnerships. So we're hoping that, that it will evolve into the more, like, like Chuck said, the more dynamic system where it will be more automatic in terms of operations. We'll still watch it, of course, mm -hmm. but we're hopeful in the next five years maybe. I'd say next five years. Five years or so that we could see it develop into a more uh, higher level. And, again, uh, I, I know Chuck, poor Chuck has heard me say this a hundred times, but to the best of my knowledge, we would be the only system in North America or close to it, is close, that right? Close to close it. Close to it, yeah. I mean, right now, even the system that's about to go to construction, this is the only system that was kind in Florida. In Florida. Um, the more dynamic system has been implemented uh, in, in two other locations I'm aware of in, in the U.S., um, uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, and uh, Overland Park, Kansas. There you go. And both of them scrapped the ultimate implementation, the long-term implementation of those, of, of those plans. Uh, because of different different issues that they had, number of rail lines actually running through the communities, the the amount of rail traffic. I mean, they are on major intercontinental east west east west routes. So you know, our our system is a little, is going to be a little bit different. 
Um, and, and, and so I think the dynamic system ultimately is going to work, work better for us than it would in those other locations. Right. I believe Winnipeg is also looking at yes. something very similar. Um, and, and, you know, but it's a, but it's a very, it's a very unique type, type, type system. Right. So we're excited about the opportunities yeah. that, 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 it, that it proposes. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to ask you both just your opinions, professional, <laughs> I guess, and personal, I guess that's hard to separate the two on something that's a little, a little off topic. So what do you think the future of self-driving cars are? You know, I, <laughs> I, I think... I mean, I don't think that they're going to be as quick, uh, you know, as, as, as a lot of people say they are. I mean, what I'm trying to get my head wrapped around is the transition between the automobiles that we have on the road today and we'll have for the next 20 years future. Mm-hmm. that are still primarily dependent upon somebody sitting behind the wheel and pushing the brakes and in, in the, in the, in the gear shift. Um, you know, to that full automated vehicle someday. To me, I think it's probably going to happen more in the transit realm, and we'll see them with with different, hmm. smaller, probably more interconnected transit vehicles. Uh, you know, which transit vehicles give us more capacity anyway in terms of moving people just by their design and, and, and configuration. Um, you know, if we were to move more towards the you know either semi or more uh, autonomous vehicles long term, I think that may possibly work against us in terms of traffic congestion because the trips are still going to be made. They're probably going to be more convenient for the, the driver or the, the person in the in the vehicle or in the pod. And so they're going to make additional trips there. They may not be making now because of the convenience factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably what we're also going to see in the more short term is the more evolution of, of you know, because a lot of I mean, my wife just got a Subaru that tells me when there's a car beside me, and it's got a camera, you know, that tells me, you know, not to back into a fire hydrant. And it's got different <laughs> things. I think a lot of that automation is already starting, and it's more of information to the to the driver to help us make better decisions. We'll probably see more of that, and I think probably you know the signal systems right. and other infrastructure is gonna is gonna have that 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 um, kind of correspondence on the on the on the infrastructure side. But full automation, I'm just still a little skeptical it's going to happen <laughs> as quickly as most people think they are. Right? I, I tend to agree, agree with Chuck that it primarily on the safety elements, th- that's here today. Chuck is absolutely right. I, um, I had a little fender bender on, on my Honda Fit, and I uh, was uh, given a rental vehicle in its place. And it had um, a front radar system. So when you put it into, when you put it into cruise control, it, and only when you put it into cruise control, it had the front radar. Remember that two seconds thing we talked about before? Right. It, it has that built in. So I was driving on, on cruise control, and somebody did what you just said, said earlier, cut in front of me, mm-hmm. and I, ba- I went backwards. I, I felt like I was going backwards <laughs> because the radar kicked in and said, no, 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 you're not two seconds behind. Oh. So it kicked in. So I think from a safety perspective, from that form of automation, I think that's here. Not think, I know, it's here. Mm-hmm. And I think Chuck is absolutely right. That's where the impetus is on safety right now. Uh, some of the elements that we're also experimenting with, uh, that sort of, uh, uh, I wouldn't say autonomous, but automation, shall we say, is uh, countdown to green. So we're working with uh, firms right now. We're hoping to get an agreement very soon 
<coughs> to help uh, help the motorists in very in certain specific vehicles to know when the green is coming. Studies have shown that that's what's actually safer. That knowing when the green is coming is actually safer than knowing when the red is coming. Believe it or not, people uh, uh, sort of have a softer, softened anxiety when they know they only have to wait 15 or 20 seconds for the green light. Hmm. They kind of relax and wait for it, uh, rather than stressing over whether I'm going to get the red light or not. So that's kind of interesting technology that we're um, we have a draft contract with with a vendor on right now. The other um, the other experiment that we're going to start October first, um, the new budget is to to deal with um, uh, intersection collision avoidance, uh, avoiding a red light crash, and which is very unique. So what we're what we're looking at using automation, kind of what Chuck was talking about in terms of safety and predicting a red light run and advancing the all red phase of a traffic signal to prevent a crash. Oh, wow. So that's kind of cool, two pieces of cool technology that we're, we're looking at. One is very real and just a matter of signing a contract. The other is uh, data-driven. We're going to have a data-driven data phase to test the system first before implementing it. So. Uh, I know it doesn't answer your question about autonomous vehicles because the nature of not having a driver behind the wheel is at best, in my opinion, frightening. <laughs> uh, at best frightening. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, at best frightening. It's probably worse than that. So, but on the other hand, if we don't try things, it'll never happen. So I think what Chuck is saying is the right thing, that let's start mm -hmm. with safety first. Let's get the safety devices in place first. Let's get that really bang on. And then let's experiment with pushing the envelope into actually having the driverless person, uh, or at least driverless in the driver's seat, and, and at least a person able to take over if needed as the next phase. Um, I think it's going to happen. Now, the only other thing is, that, and I don't know what the answer is, what are we going to do with the, I don't know, Three billion vehicles that are currently <laughs> on the road. So, do, do we do we through attrition get rid of them or how? That's yeah, that's an interesting the, question that, that, yeah, that uh, comes to mind. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, spending some time today talking about all these issues, and I hope that folks learned a lot. Uh, this is kind of a new format to kind of discuss these issues, and it's it's an interesting way to sort of take your time and deep dive without feeling like you're rushed in front of a, a commission oh, I sure meeting. It. Yeah. This yeah. is a great opportunity. I learned a lot myself. That. This is a had a lot of fun doing this actually. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks you guys and um, you know, we'll talk again soon, I suppose. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a great Take day. Take care.